Uh, let me encourage you for the week ahead. Next Sunday, we'll begin a study in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I would just encourage you to read through Ecclesiastes this week. If you've ever looked at life and said, what's the point? Why bother any of those questions? That is what the writer of Ecclesiastes is asking, or those very questions. What's the point? Uh, and I would encourage you to read it through in its entirety. We'll, we'll work our way over 10 or 12 weeks through the book. Uh, there will be times when you will think, this is awfully discouraging, um, but it, it serves a purpose, and it is part of the Word of God, and we're going to learn it together and apply it together. So I'd encourage you in that uh, during the course of this week is to read Ecclesiastes. We're going to be mostly in Proverbs today, but let me just begin um, by reading to you from 2 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul is warning Timothy of false teachers that are going to come in and, and begin to undercut the very work and, and preach false doctrine at, at the places where Timothy has been ministering. And he says to Timothy, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In pointing back to Timothy's childhood, Paul is no doubt bringing to mind Timothy's mother and grandmother that he refers to in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy when he speaks about how his mother and grandmother labored to impart their faith in Christ into Timothy. They did what they could to train Timothy to raise him on the, the word of God, the sacred writings, so that he might know what it is to have faith in Jesus Christ. And it says there in that passage that we just read, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, that Greek word for childhood really has the idea of infancy. And so it's the idea that Timothy was raised in a home that revered the word of God. From an early age, he was being taught about the truth of God's word and the truth that would lead him to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, Timothy was made to be acquainted with the scriptures, taught the word of God, and that will be the focal point of our study today. We're going back to kind of a second part to something we talked about last month when we looked at Ephesians, and we were in Ephesians 6.4, which says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What we saw in that, that passage is Paul doesn't really elaborate on what discipline and instruction of the Lord looks like for parents, nor in the parallel passage in Colossians 3 does he. In fact, he says even less there. Uh, and, and so what Paul is taking for granted is the fact that if you take the breadth of Scripture, you will see in the Old Testament there is extensive teaching to parents on how to bring their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. One place to, to look at, just before we turn to Proverbs, is Deuteronomy 6, which kind of sets the stage for us. In Deuteronomy, uh, this is the unveiling of God's commands, of God's law, and so this is sort of the, uh, the preamble to that. In Deuteronomy 6, is Moses is speaking, and he says in Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Love 
God supremely. We know as we go on through scripture that this is sort of the summation of the law, that Jesus will remind us in the gospels that the law can be summarized in loving God with your whole being and loving the creatures that he has made being human beings. Love man, love your brothers uh, supremely as well. And so it is a call to love God here in Deuteronomy 6.5 as he summarizes all that he's going to say in the commands Love God with your whole being. And the reason he could say that is because Scripture never treats love as just being sort of a verbal affirmation, as just saying, I love you. But love in Scripture is active. It is active sacrifice on behalf of the object of that love. There's, there's always some sort of effort given for the one who is being loved. And so loving God with our whole being means loving him with our lives. What we say, what we do, what we think seeking to worship him in the course of that. That's our love for God. Then he says, verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Stop there. This is crucial. These words, God's word, these commands shall be internalized. He's saying, these things that I'm going to teach you today, these are not simply for rote memory so that you can list off 10 points of doctrine or you can give 10 commands. He says, I I want these things. God's word should become a part of who we are, where the truth of God and a knowledge of truth intersects with your will. That's kind of the place where the heart is at. That's where the decisions are made about everyday life, the choices that we make all lie there. And that's why he's saying, make these things at home in your heart. As one commentator puts it, the heart is the breeding ground of moral attitudes. It is the inner being that reasons and decides and plans, and that's where God's word should be at home. And so that means meditate, think on this, memorize it, Give it a place so that it is at home in your inner being so that you are thinking deeply about it and applying it to your life. And then verse 7, this last one we'll look at here in Deuteronomy. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Follow the progression here. The word of God, he's giving the summary here of the law is to love God supremely actively. Take these commands, internalize them, learn them. Now teach them to your children. And when he says teach them diligently, the Hebrew root from which that comes is the idea of the same word is used for a, a sharp tool that's used to engrave in stone. It's a really good picture for us to to sort of picture what diligent teaching looks like. The engraver has already sharpened that tool. They understand the importance of it. That's what parents, that's what you and I are doing by meditating on God's word, taking it in, thinking about it, letting it convict us of our sin. That's all part of that, that, that work that's going on internally that's sharpening the tool. And now with that sharpened tool, he says, engrave. Begin to work into your child's heart these truths. It's not a quick or easy process. The ancient cultures understood that engraving in stone didn't just happen. It was time-consuming. You had to be careful and thoughtful and diligent. It's not a short-term, quick fix. And so it is as he's telling parents, teach them diligently. This will not be something that happens overnight. The frustration for all of us who have raised children is, why don't they get it? You know, I've, I've taught this at least, you know, a few times, 
But that's why I teach them diligently is there to remind us that the diligency is it's, it's an ongoing work. It's a patient work. It takes time. It happens over seasons. And that's why he says this ministry of parents to children happens throughout all different phases of life and all different times of day. When you're rising up, when you're lying down, when you're in your house, when you're out and about, wherever you might be, there's no fixed set time that says this is the time that, that we teach the word and that's it. Certainly there should be family worship time and devotional time, but we don't narrow it so that it's exclusively in this place. We're teaching the word of God and applying it all throughout life. We're bringing it to bear in our child's life so that they can see how the word of God is intersecting in our lives so that we're living it out and talking about it to them so they can see it played out in us as we face new challenges, as we respond to correction to them. Turn to Proverbs chapter 1, and let's unpack this now. This is, we've kind of sort of laid the preliminary here uh, in terms of groundwork as to what we are called to do as parents. I think Proverbs does a wonderful job of very practically explaining to us what the discipline and instruction of the Lord looks like. Now, let's say this first. If you're not a parent, maybe you have no desire to be a parent. Let me tell you this. We are talking about walking in wisdom, practical, biblical wisdom for life and walking in, in wisdom toward life. And so this applies to, to every believer. The book of Proverbs, even though it's a father often speaking to a son, is filled with wisdom for every stage of life. And so maybe you're a parent whose children are grown. Uh, you still have some sphere of influence, no doubt, in their lives, or there's grandkids, or there's nieces and nephews, or there's kids in a classroom, or there's others that you are influencing in some way as you live out your life. Um, so let me just encourage you to not check out on me as we go through this and we talk about the father speaking to the son. Here's the outline, fairly simple. And Proverbs, I think, is pretty simple in terms of directions. We're going to look in two different directions. As parents, bringing our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord involves, on the one hand, pointing them toward the path of God's wisdom whose ultimate outcome is life. We are consistently pointing them toward this path where they will find God's wisdom so that they will find life. And we do that through encouragement and exhortation and example. But we are simultaneously also pointing them away from this path of worldly foolishness that is designed to lead them to nothing but death and destruction. And we do that by virtue of cautions and also by correction. Two sorts of directions and yet both consistent in what our teaching should look like as we bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, holding out before them one to follow and one to avoid. Let's start in chapter 1, verse 8. And, and look at how encouragement works into leading them on this path of wisdom. Chapter 1, verse 8. Hear, listen, my son, hear your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Writer in Proverbs 1 is going to very quickly shift over to warning about this path of foolishness and destruction, but he begins by saying to his son, listen, there is reward for you in following the path of God's wisdom. If you will go this way, you will find blessing. He starts with enticement or encouragement to say to his son, walk this way. Now, we may look at that and go, what, is, 
What is a graceful garland? Your kid may ask you, what? I don't want a graceful garland. Well, in that culture, in ancient cultures, the garland was the sign of the victor. It was the, like the ring that's given to the championship sports team that they, they strove for and they want it to win. That's kind of what the graceful garland symbolizes, is that place of blessing, that, that place of finding God's favor. And the pendant had the idea, generally in ancient cultures, necklace sort of idea, uh, of security, of, of longevity. Kings would wear them as sort of symbols of, of protection. And, and so it really is the idea that the, the writer is saying, this is a good path. This is a path where, where God will show favor to you if you walk in his wisdom. This is the path of honor, the path of God's protection. He takes a similar approach if you look in chapter 3 where he starts again with this call, same kind of call right at the beginning. Don't forget my teaching and listen to these commandments. Look down at verse 13 of chapter 3. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her, that's another description of wisdom, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her with wisdom, God's wisdom. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Parents, the lesson here is that we should be telling our children about the blessings and rewards that come from pursuing and obeying God's wisdom. If we hold out Bible study as sort of a chore to do to check off like homework, if we uh, take sort of family worship and isolate it and make it seem like it's just a task that needs to be done because it's after dinner and this is what we do and that's just the way it is and it, it just sort of seems like a mechanical thing, then we're missing some of the tone here of the Word of God because the Father in Proverbs is trying to say, son, this is the path of blessing. The world is holding out all sorts of things to you that look so valuable and they look like they'll make you famous and, and, and pleased and delighted. And he says, listen, none of that compares with the wisdom of God. None of that holds a candle. If you will follow this path, if you will take in God's wisdom and meditate on it and learn it, you will have something that's more valuable than anything else that life can offer. There's no competition. So in the many good moments with our children, when we're not in the midst of correcting for bad behavior, those are the times to encourage our children in just how valuable God's word is. Those are the times when we are trying to show them that God's word makes a difference in our lives, that our choices our actions, that they're influenced by the word of God. We're seeking to follow his wisdom and, and, and look at the outcome, look at the blessing, look at what God's doing as we seek to follow his word. It's, it's showing them that over the course of life. We point them toward the path of God's wisdom by way of encouragement. Secondly, by exhortation, chapter 4, if you look at verse 20 in chapter 4, we've talked encouragement now, exhortation, a little more direct approach now. Chapter 4, verse 20, my son, be attentive to my words. In other words, pay attention. How many parents you've said, pay attention to your kids, or your parents said to you at least once or twice, pay attention. Okay, so there's a biblical basis for saying pay attention right there, Proverbs 4.20. My son, be attentive to my words. 
Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech. Put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. An exhortation is an instruction. It's, it's the how-to point. In other words, you encourage your children about the rewards and blessings and, and protection and care of God that is on this path of wisdom, but then you also give them the how-to in terms of pursuing God's wisdom. Proverbs is filled with verbs, filled with exhortations, instructions that say, this is what we are called to do. List of them, just, just some of the sample verbs that you see in the book of Proverbs. Hear my words. Listen to instruction. Receive it. Treasure up instruction. Incline your heart. Call out. Seek. Search. Do not forget. Keep. Trust in the Lord. Acknowledge him. Honor him. These are all exhortations. They're all instructions. This is how we pursue God's wisdom. We seek it. We search it. We treasure it. We pursue it. We see a number of these in, in chapter 4. We'll, let's just use the one in verse 20, though, as an example of what this exhortation looks like. Again, my son, be attentive to my words and incline your ear to my sayings. Saying, pay attention. Heed my words. Hearken your ear to what I'm saying to you. The, the, the idea, the picture here is that there is noise all around and there are competing voices. But as parents, we're seeking to grab our child's attention and direct their listening in our direction because we're going to impart the Word of God to them. Now, th there's other good voices in the world. and Certainly, we, we want them to take in, whether it's the, the teaching and plugging in or wherever it might be from another adult who's modeling Christ-like character. But the call here for the parent is to, to teach that child that when there's all this noise and chaos, this voice needs to break through. You need to hear it and heed it. That's the voice of the father and the mother as they instruct. Our kids are growing up in a culture that is filled with distractions. We as adults struggle with being distracted. I mean, look at all of the discussion about Driving. We all agree driving is important. 60 miles an hour down a highway, 2,000 pound machinery here. And I'm figuring out what I want to listen to on the radio and maybe I'm shaving and, you know, just there's, there's, there's food, right? You got to eat if you're going to be driving for any length of time. And then there's the GPS that's just said turn left now and disregard that car that's already there. And, and all these things that are going on that are distracting us happens all throughout life, just stuff coming at us. A lot of skills we can teach our kids, but few are as valuable as what the writer of Proverbs says here, which is discerning to listen to which voice they need to hear. They need to hear God's wisdom. Lord willing, that comes through mom and dad, and so they need to be tuned to hear that voice and to pay attention to it, to listen attentively when it speaks. The sound of their favorite music, that funny meme that just, you know, shows up on the phone, the, the video game that's exploding on their screen. All of that is competing for their attention and their heart. In and of themselves, all those little bits and pieces, not necessarily sinful, but when they begin to distract 
from God. They are trying to capture the heart. We're in a culture where there's at least generally an acknowledgement of the existence of God and culture. And so Satan probably doesn't work on your kid by saying, hey, listen, God is terrible. You, you just shouldn't even think about God. All Satan has to do in our culture is say, hey, look at this. Check this out on your phone. Check this out for a moment. It, it's, what you're doing is important, but look at this for just a moment. Just check it out. And then he just distracts from one thing to another. And then check this out, check that out. And, and, and all of that ultimately just draws us away and it's seeking to capture our hearts and your children's hearts. Four times in Proverbs, the child's called to be attentive. At least 10 calls to the child to listen. About 10 more times when the writer says, hear what I have to say. Five times he urges the child to incline either his heart or his ears in the father's direction. And then you've got the myriad of other statements like we read in chapter 4 that, that speak to uh, how you look, you know, watching that you're looking straight ahead and not being drawn aside. Watch where you walk. Ponder the path that you are walking on. All of these different calls to how we live to call our hearts to draw attention to the wisdom of God. Those are all simple exhortations. And yet the message of Proverbs is we need to keep repeating them for our children. We need to lovingly and creatively find ways to continue to teach them again and again because they go from one end of this book to the other. Because the writer of Proverbs, God's word knows we hear something once, right, but we still need to hear it again because we get distracted along the way and keep calling them back Family worship time, making that a priority. Teaching throughout all of the different things that are going on in the home. There's great books upstairs. There's children's resources upstairs and the bookshelves up there. Encourage you to, to make sure that you're, you're imparting time into your child and, and teaching them the word of God. We point them toward the path of God's wisdom by encouragement, by exhortation, and third, by example. We, we've seen this already now several times in that the writer is saying, Listen to your father's commandment, forsake not your mother's teaching. That's odd, in a sense, if you consider it against the rest of Scripture, where so often it's God says, obey God's commands. This is the word of the Lord. And here in Proverbs, you have this, listen to your father's commands. Listen, forsake not your mother's teaching. There's a clear expectation here in Proverbs that the parents have learned God's wisdom, and they are seeking to apply it to their own lives and live it out. And since they are the primary teachers of their children, it's the parents' teaching and instruction that is important and must be trustworthy. That's why then verses like Proverbs 6.20 say, keep your father's commandment. Instead of saying, keep God's commandment, it's the understanding that this parenting thing, we see this back in Ephesians, is delegated. We have been given authority from God in order to lead our children back in that direction, back toward God. And so we are teaching and instructing in his wisdom and seeking to lead them back toward that. Parents, we clearly undercut our message if we urge our children to listen and be attentive to God's wisdom and incline their hearts to God's wisdom, and we are not doing the same. It's exactly what Paul warned about. In Ephesians chapter 6, when he said, do not provoke your children to wrath, that's exactly what that looks like. It's inconsistency when we say, do as I say, not necessarily as I do. Because the life itself doesn't demonstrate the wisdom of God. The only way this 
works in Proverbs to listen to the Father's command, the Mother's teaching, is if indeed we've already been immersed in God's word and that's what we're teaching to our children and living it out. It's very clear in Proverbs, there are enemies of God standing all along the path of your child's life. And, and part of what we are doing is pleading with them to walk this path with us, walk in God's wisdom toward life. And, and if we are going to urge them to do that and not go down these side paths, they ought to be able to follow in our steps. They ought to be able to follow that path that, that, that we are leading on and see us having walked in, that, in the course of adversity and suffering and temptation and difficulty and the things that we face. They ought to be able to see us, how we walk that. And when we stumble and ask for God's forgiveness and repent and, and, and seek God's grace they can see us walk that path, we are living out that example before them. That's a great place, I think, for us to transition. From pointing children toward the path of God's wisdom that leads to life, and at the same time, we're pointing them away from the world's broad path of foolishness. Let's look at how he handles the other direction, also Proverbs 4, but back up a little bit to verse 14. And notice just the tone of the father, Proverbs 4, 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Stop there. I want to suggest that Proverbs Essentially, as it focuses on telling us to, to teach our kids to not go down this path of foolishness, really says there's two ways by which we do it. One is by cautions. The other is by correction. But this is caution. The father here is in starkest terms warning his son, saying, I plead with you, son, do not walk in that direction. Do not go toward those people. You see throughout Proverbs, a lot of times in his description, and particularly he uses the adulterous woman in Proverbs 5, he's saying to his son, listen, these people are skillful. The world is attractive. There's things about it that look very alluring. Going down this path that, that might be filled with deceit or wickedness or evil at the front end might look like it's really inviting. And he says, I'm pleading with you, son, don't walk in worldly wisdom. Don't walk after the foolishness of the world. Stay on this path of godly wisdom. He's even more blunt. Chapter 5, here it is kind of in, in more descriptive terms. Chapter 5, verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Well, that's attractive, is what he's saying. And her speech, it's smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as any two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. Now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. He's saying, listen, it's like honey, smooth. That's what the world does. Satan doesn't, doesn't put stuff out there that you go, oh, I don't want that. That looks stupid. He makes it look attractive. And so he's saying to his son, not just avoid evil, stay away from bad people, but he's teaching his son in the process and saying, I'm giving you this caution by letting you know that there is, there's traps out there. There's things out there that look alluring, but they are foolish and they are worldly wisdom. And that's why he's cautioning him. When we lived in Alaska, we spent about eight years in southeast Alaska. We'd go hiking in places that not many other people had hiked before, and we'd go out in the skiff and go out in the sound, and, and, and you were just 
enraptured with God's creation and the beauty around you, and you just in awe of, of some of the things you saw. But, but you also began to understand you, you lived in a remote area, and there were no trauma centers anywhere nearby. So if something bad happened, you were going to have to wait till a helicopter came in, hoping that the weather was good, and then it was going to put you on and fly you down to Seattle, and hopefully you were still alive and well when, when you got down there, because it was a long trek to the trauma center. And all of that said, be careful. This is beautiful and enjoy this, but, but there's some risks. You're out there where, where things can happen, where if you don't plan ahead, things can go wrong. If you don't learn from people who know the area and who know the terrain, that's what we did. You know, you try to get tutored from people who've lived there and, and can warn you about currents and weather and all those good things so that you don't make foolish mistakes. You learn that when you go on the path in the woods that you haven't been on, you, you take the dog with you and you let the dog go first. So Something out there, the dog will find it. And we can go the other way. Dog always made it back. Don't worry. Dog was just fine. But it helped to to be serious about the fact that there were dangers, and that's what the father in Proverbs is doing. He's saying, son, there are dangers out there, and I'm here to caution you about them because sometimes they'll look amazing, and you'll be drawn that way, but you need to be so careful. One writer put it this way, none of us want our children to make the same mistakes that we have. A wise parent helps extend the vision of a child, helping them to see the long-term consequences of sinful behavior. Usually sin looks very good in the short term, but generally it has very painful long-term consequences. If you're an adult, you've been there and you've done that. You know exactly what the writer in Proverbs, why he is pleading with his son, because he's walked in things that he shouldn't have walked in. He's made mistakes before, and he's saying to his son, I don't want you to do this. I'm trying to steer you away from that path, and so let me just do everything I can to tell you about some of the deception that's down there so that you don't walk that way. And that's why, as you read through Proverbs, you'll see the writer talk about the risks associated with all sorts of things, wealth and power, and sex, and pleasure, and leisure, and strong drink, even planning. It, 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 all of these things that in and of themselves individually are not necessarily sinful, but once they are disconnected from the wisdom of God, they can become destructive. And so he's teaching him about all of these different elements of life and how they can go awry if you lose sight of the wisdom of God. That's why as parents, Proverbs teaching us to have those wide-ranging conversations with our kids about all these different areas of life and the things that we've learned, maybe even the hard way, and, and seeing how God's wisdom works and blesses. Chapter 6, verse 20, I want to move from caution to correction. Chapter 6, verse 20, my son, keep your father's commandment. Here it is again, forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. You will hear your father and mother's wisdom. When they've given you God's wisdom, you'll hear that, and it'll remind you. But then verse 23. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. The reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Even as adults, we don't, we're not drawn sort of in a wonderful way to reproof or discipline. It's not something we eagerly say, I can't wait for the next time I'm reproved or disciplined. And yet, Scripture says the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. 
It is God's means for our benefit to help us, to, to cause us to, to grow. Parents, the call here is that one of the ways we steer our children away from that path of foolishness is from correction. It's from reproof. There's about 20 uses of either the word reproof or discipline in connection with children in the book of Proverbs. You see both of them there in verse 23. They are not just suggestions or sage advice. The word of God is calling parents to bring reproof and discipline into the lives of their children. The Hebrew word for reproof has a judicial background. It implies making a right or wrong judgment. The absurdity of the world that we live in would say, don't impose your morality on your children, right? Just let them figure things out. Don't pass judgment on right or wrong. You know, let them sort of blank slated and figure out what's right and wrong, and, and they'll come to their own sort of standard. To do anything more, in the words of one well-known atheist, would be indoctrinating your opinions into the vulnerable minds of children. The message of Scripture is we must bring reproofs and discipline into the lives of our children. We are called to make right and wrong judgments to teach our children, this is what the Word of God says. This is your Creator's wisdom. This is what's right and wrong according to the one who made you and to whom you will stand accountable before with your life. Therefore, these right and wrong judgments are important. You need to learn them. A reproof is meant to expose error and to call the one who's in error to, to turn from it. It's not a, a proud sort of reproving that says, I'm right, you're wrong. No, it's the idea of saying, no, don't, don't do what you're doing. Stop doing what you're doing. This is going to hurt you. You need to turn back to life. The, the whole thing we've got to remember, we'll come back to this again at the end, it's just this is a path that leads to life. This is a path that leads to destruction. And so we're reproving from error because we know that if that error, if that path, they, they keep going that way, it's not good. There's not a good outcome down that path. And so that's why we reprove and we discipline and call our children back. Flip over, if you would, to chapter 22. I'm just going to read a couple verses from toward the latter part of Proverbs. Proverbs 22:15, Just to touch on what this correction, reproving, one aspect of it. Proverbs 22, 15, the, the verses that the kids don't want to hear. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. 23, 13, turn a page if you would, or scroll down a little further. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. Spanking is described in Scripture as one of these methods of correction. Our culture is, is all about saying, oh no, this is, this is awful, you can't do this. Scripture is very clear that there are a lot of different paths of correction. Chris and I were talking about this during the break. My kids are older right now, and so it's conversations. We talk about stuff. When they were younger, it might have been some other corrections along the way. My son's smiling at me. When they're younger, that reproof sometimes will take the form of a spanking because that's what Scripture says because the, the point here is that path, that, that, that path leads to something so far worse than any kind of earthly correction that I'm willing to give you some temporary pain, 
short-term pain in the process of instructing and correcting. If your approach in terms of spanking is to say, absolutely off limits, won't do it even if my child is clearly defying you in a need of correction, then you are missing what God's word says because scripture clearly teaches it as part of the process of correction to turn that child from a path of destruction. Just a couple of things to bear in mind. This is not child abuse. Keep the verses here in context in the book of Proverbs with a father whose concern is pleading with this child. This father loves this child. It's not set on on abusing this child. This father is set on helping this child find blessing and life and hope and encouragement. Keep that within that context of the word of God that speaks again and again of God's clear love for children. The other thing is it's not a parental form of getting even or venting anger. And this goes back to the point that, that our parenting is delegated authority from God. And so this isn't all about you're just defying me you know, and you're embarrassing me, and this is all about me and my feelings, ultimately, that, that opportunity for correction and reproof and, and even spanking is to, to, to take my child and say, this is not obeying God. This is important because it's God's wisdom at work in your life right now. The aim is still to lead the child to a rejection of worldly foolishness and the embrace of God's wisdom. Two other verses, and we'll wrap up here, but one's Proverbs 19, 18. And I think these just speak to the seriousness of, of what it is we're doing here. Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. That's how valuable reproofs are. Chapter 13, verse 24. One more, 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. I think that takes us full circle in a sense. The purpose of a sharp reproof, even spanking, is ultimately to guide our child toward life and to protect them from the destruction of worldly foolishness, from godless foolishness. We focus on those two directions, pointing toward, pointing from in our kids' lives. Because ultimately, the outcomes are that important. Proverbs again and again contrasts life and death, a way that leads to life and a way that leads to death. You see it at the end of chapter 1 and verse 32. Let me just read you a couple verses from the end of Proverbs 1, verse 32 and 33. For the simple are killed by their turning away. And the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Those who are so naive as to ignore God's counsel are on a sure path to their own destruction. That's what he's saying here, the simple. They, just, they, they don't want to see God's wisdom. They're willing to walk their own happy way toward foolishness and ignore God's wisdom. Those who listen to his wisdom are safe because God will be their security. That's the, the picture there. Chapter 2 says, The one who listens to God's word, receives wisdom from his parents, walks in integrity on a path of justice. God guards him from an ultimate judgment. But those who forsake the ways of the Lord are on a path of wickedness. Remember the adulterous woman and what it said about her? If you look at chapter 2, verse 18, her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed 
None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. That is an amazing warning. That is the writer in Proverbs saying, son, if, if you persist on this path, if you are determined to keep walking this way, you are walking toward the judgment of your creator. You are walking toward a sure and certain disaster if you will not turn and repent and turn back off that path. Two other verses you can jot down. 1228, in the path of righteousness is life and in its pathway there is no death. 1314, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. The thing that I hope you get is that there's a lot at stake here. It matters. Your parenting matters. Your, your teaching matters. Your own personal walk matters. Now, here's the, the point I just want to caveat that with, is we are not God. We do not have determinative power over our child's eternal destiny. And so I, I don't want you to take these as absolutes in the sense of, if I just do this and I do it consistently, then for sure my child's eternal destiny is secure. First of all, we're not consistent because we're human beings, and so we still fall short. And second, that child is still accountable for his or herself before God, for his or her own life. This is calling us to encourage and to teach and exhort, and we should take that as a stewardship and not act as if, well, ultimately I'm not God, so I'm just going to leave it all in God's hands. No, we have a responsibility delegated to us as stewards. The flip side of that is, just because you see areas as you've looked at this where you feel like, I've failed on that one, check that one, I'm right with you on that, that, that doesn't then doom your child to eternal condemnation. Your child is still called individually by God to repent of his or her sins and to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. The gospel is the same. The appeal is the same that your child turn toward life. There is grace for that, for where we failed as parents. But, but here's what we do know. Parenting your child matters. If there's anything that's clear from Scripture, it is plant this word deeply in your heart, believe it, live it, and then teach it diligently like that engraver. Slowly, patiently, over time, continuing to bring God's wisdom to bear on your child's life, trusting and praying that ultimately God will deliver that child down that path of life so that they would find eternity with him. Remember where we started in 2 Timothy 3, when Paul says to Timothy, from infancy, you were, your, your mom was acquainting you with the words, that the sacred words, the sacred truths that are able to lead you to faith in Christ Jesus. Isn't that our prayer as parents? That ultimately all we can do is just keep making our children acquainted with God and with God's wisdom and, and showing him the truth and trusting that ultimately God would lead them to life, would rescue them and save them from their sin and deliver them to be his own. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and it's how it speaks so practically to our lives, to our walk, to parenting, to, to just so many areas of our lives. I, I pray, Father, first this morning that if there's anyone here who is not trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior, I pray that, that the message from Proverbs would, would make the picture very real. 
that there is a path of divine wisdom in which Jesus Christ is revealed to be the Son of God who gives his life as a ransom for sinners and calls people to faith and repentance. That path leads to life. If they will trust, if they will call out even now and call on Jesus to save them, that he will do that. Father, I pray that you would, even today, if there's anyone here who's not a believer in Jesus Christ, by your Spirit's great power, pluck them off this path of foolishness, of walking away from you and walking toward destruction. Father, I pray for parents. Lord, I pray that you'd give them strength. Those who have young children have all of this lying before them. I pray that you would just give them great strength. Help your spirit to minister to them, to fill them with your spirit. Help them to be students of your word so that they might impart your wisdom to their kids. Those with older kids, maybe kids who are grown and out of the home, I pray, Lord, that that they would find grace to rest in you. The things taught, the opportunities that we feel like we're missed, we can point back and, and see those points along the way where we feel like we just didn't quite do what we've been reading about this morning. Lord, we pray that you would, that you would wash those away in our children's hearts and lives and, and grow them up to be men and women who would love you, who would pursue you with their whole being. Lord, that where we as parents have sinned and failed, that they would see past that to a God who never fails and who gives grace through his son, grace for eternal life. Father, thank you for your faithfulness through your word to speak to our hearts. Help us to internalize these things this week as we seek to live them out by your power at work in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.